Good morning. It's a good morning. You know, I was just thinking when we were praising God, and it's not always easy praising God when you're going through a tough time, is it? Because sometimes our emotions and, you know, but I just want to encourage people if you are going through a tough time, keep focusing on God and keep focusing on that he is good and that he's alive and he's for you. And even if you're going through something emotionally, there's a place for you in this church. And uh, just keep being real, keep being honest, but just keep believing that God is good and you'll get through that season and see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So, but keep praising God anyway, because that's not about our emotions, it's about who he is and what he's done. So, faith of the centurion, that's what I'm speaking on this week and next week, and a little bit of it the the week after that, but I I want to focus, uh, it will link in, um, but I'm focusing on something from a different scripture, but hopefully it'll link in. So this week, I'm going to kind of come from the point of view of looking at this guy, because for me, um, there's something unusual about him. I like unusual things. Anybody like unusual things? Anybody done anything unusual? I tried to do something unusual. I tried to walk through a wall once. Have you ever tried it? It hurts. I was convinced I could... I actually thought there wasn't a wall there. I've told this story before. I went to the, the, the cinema with the girls and Sarah, and we went down on the right-hand side down the, the aisle, and we sat on the seats, and the lights were all still on. The place was filling up. And I said to Sarah, I'm just going to go to the toilet. So I got up and went to the left, to that aisle there that wasn't an aisle. It was just a wall, but I just, it was dark, and I didn't see it. And I just remember feeling like there was carpet on the wall. You know when they have carpet on walls? I just remember feeling the carpet down the side of my face and thinking, why is there a carpet on my face? It's not a carpet. And I heard Olivia shout out, why is Daddy walking into the wall? And then as I turned, I saw Sarah slide down the seat like that. And the lights were on and I walked out. My glasses were bent. And uh, it was an unusual thing to try and walk through a wall. I don't advise you to do it. But, you know, this scripture is an unusual scripture because there are a few reasons I think it's unusual. Um, The first thing, let's look at the scripture. Luke 7, verses 1 to 11. We'll read it, and then we'll look at some of the reasons why it's unusual. So it says, when Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. It's really important to understand what Jesus has been saying beforehand. Next week, I'm going to look at that, because I believe this guy built his life on the things that Jesus had said and on Jesus' teachings. But we're going to look at that next week. This week, we're going to focus on his faith and what faith is. There was a centurion servant whom his master valued highly. He was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servants. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him. This man deserves to have you do this, to have you do this, because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to him to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word and my servant will be healed. 
For I myself am a man under authority. With soldiers under me, I tell this one, go, and he goes, that one, come, and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him, and turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nahum and his disciples. Okay, with his disciples. So here's a scripture, right? Taken from Luke. Luke was a physician, so he often wrote about healing. So he writes about this guy whose servant was sick. Now, what is unusual about this, first of all, is salvation, the Bible says, if we read in the Old Testament, salvation was for the Jews. Salvation was for the lost sheep or Israel. And Jesus was coming for the lost sheep. God had sent him for the people of Israel, the lost sheep. So when Jesus comes to this person and salvation comes to somebody in his house, it's not really originally what the Jews thought it was for. The Jews thought it was for him. But on this occasion, this is like the most extreme far away from what the Jews thought Jesus was here for. So that's, first of all, why it's an unusual scripture, because the Jews believed the salvation belonged to them. The second thing is this. He's a Roman centurion. Do you know any Roman centurions? Has anybody ever dressed up as one? No. One. Tim. There you go. You know, there's a, there's a lot of people, any history buffs in here, you know, I'm not, I'm not a history buff, but, you know, there's a lot of stuff on Roman soldiers and history, and, and there's, you can read in the book of Ephesians what each, uh, it has a, a symbolic representation in there. But, you know, this guy, for being a Roman uh, centurion, he's a pretty experienced guy. He's not just somebody they've got in off the street or he's got the job just because he filled in the form, his CV. He, he is an experienced soldier, but what is unusual about this is he's also, not only is a Roman soldier, he's obviously, he's under the payroll pretty much of Herod within that society. Jews and Romans don't get on, right? Jew, Israel has been taken over by the Jews. So in their eyes, they think that God is going to bring salvation to that society and take back over the Roman Empire and remove it by bringing in a, a mightier force than the Romans. But on this occasion, Jesus doesn't do it that way. Jesus actually shows another way of living, which we're going to look at his teachings next week. So he's a Roman soldier, and also salvation was for the Jews. That's what the Jews thought would come through them, which it does through Jesus. But it was an unusual scripture. But I... Really, I think it's more unusual because of what Jesus says. He actually says that he has not seen faith like this, not even in Israel. So it's the one occasion where Jesus, it actually says, is amazed at somebody's faith. The other occasion is amazed at it by somebody's lack of faith. He only uses this word twice in the whole of the Bible. Once where he's amazed at their lack of faith in Mark, I think it's chapter 6, where they don't believe him in his hometown. They can't believe his, in trust in, his, in, in who he is. 
they don't see any miracles happening. So he uses it there where he's amazed at lack of faith, but he uses it on this occasion where he's amazed at somebody's faith. Somebody who you wouldn't expect to have faith in him. It's a little bit unusual. And actually, if you look at the word there, what amazed, it's where we get the word marvel. Any Marvel fans out there? Anybody like Spider-Man? Spider-Man. Oh, Wayne's, Wayne's got, it's not Marvel, is he? He's got a Batman t-shirt on this morning. So I'm like, Batman's in the house, right? Any Superman fans? No, no, no. Are they not Marvel fans? What about the Human Torch? Does anybody know the Human Torch? The Fantastic Four? No. Come on, there are no Marvel fans. I'm gonna, this is just going flat, to be flat this morning. I've got to convince you that Marvel's good, right? If Jesus used the word Marvel, Marvel's good, right? Are there any Christians in here? That's okay then, right? So Jesus used the word Marvel, right? This is where we get that word. Jesus marveled at him. He marveled at his faith, okay? He wasn't surprised. It's not like one of them, he walked and went, whoa, did you see that? He's not shocked and surprised at his faith. He's not astonished in that way where, oh, I didn't see that coming. He marveled at his faith. He stood in awe of it and was like, wow, didn't you see this? Now, I think he marveled because he was a centurion and actually was expecting because he'd been sent to Israel to see this kind of faith in Israel. But he says, I've never seen such faith, not even in Israel. This is outside of Israel, God's chosen people, who the word of God had been revealed to. They should have known and had this faith. But Jesus finds somebody who he marveled at. He found somebody better than Spider-Man. Better than Iron Man. Any Iron Man fans? Oh, now we're getting there with the technology. 21st century. Yeah, Jesus marveled at him. So I think there should be something that we look at this guy, and actually, if I can understand what this guy had, right, that Jesus marveled at, maybe I can have a little bit of it, and Jesus will marvel at me. Anybody want some of that? You don't have to. So you, you can be a superhero. You can be a Marvel, not just a Marvel fan, you can be a Marvel person that Jesus looks at and goes, whoa, look at the faith in that person. Do you want to be that? Or maybe you don't think you're worthy to be that. None of us are. But Jesus has given us faith that he can marvel at. If he could marvel at a Roman centurion who was an enemy to the Jews, then surely he can marvel to you. He can look at you and go, wow, look at the faith in my little child here. Look at the faith growing in this person. Look at the faith that is in them. Look how they keep growing their faith. And Jesus marveled at a centurion. It, 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 it surprises me, and it, it, it's something in me, inspires me to look at this guy and say, do you know what? Jesus was amazed at this guy. He was marveled at him. Now, look, I know we can't kind of big people up and you know, worship people. It's not about that. Most people marveled at Jesus, yeah? He turned water into wine. Get your head around that one. I've not seen a Marvel character do that. You know, imagine Spider-Man trying to turn it with his web into water. He's not done it. He walked on water. He, he restored blind people, restored their sight. He healed lame people. He raised a person from the dead. Imagine being there. Would you marvel at that? We can read about it. We should marvel about him. 
He was raised from the dead. He's alive now. And he lives in you. And he lives in me. If you received Christ, he lives in you. And he lives in me. We can marvel at what he's done, can we not? We can marvel and praise God for who he is. But on this occasion, Jesus is not being marveled at. Jesus is marveling at someone else. It's a bit unusual, don't you think? And I think we can learn something from this so Jesus can marvel at you. I think he does marvel at you. Some of you are not quite getting that one. Do you think Jesus marvels at you? Does Jesus look at you and marvel at you? Does he go, wow, he's my son and he's my daughter? He marveled at him. So what was it about this centurion that got him to marvel at him? That's what we're going to look at now. Is that okay? So let's look at him. So that's what's unusual about him. Let's look at the centurion then. What was this man like? Well, we can read that he was a good man. He helped people. He helped his community. I think there's some good people in this room that help people. I think there are some good people in this world that want to help people. They might not be in church. They might not know God. But there are some good people in this world. There's some good people that you work with. There's some good people that want to help. And they don't even know God. There are some good people. And I believe he was a good man. How do we know that? Because the people actually honored him and went as elders. This is the Jews. The elders went on behalf of him to get Jesus, to bring them back, why? Because he said he loves our nation and he's built a synagogue. That tells me he was a good man. We need some good men. We need some good women. Like this man who learned to build bridges with his community. He didn't sit on his backside. He didn't say, there, it's them Jews. I want nothing to do with them. He was a good man. And he actually did something with that goodness. What else is he then? He was a religious man. How do we know that? Well, he must have gained some understanding of who God was because he built them a synagogue. Why would you build somebody a synagogue unless you believed in either them or what they were doing? He was a religious person. But he was a Roman centurion. He shouldn't have been, a he should have been the Jews. But I believe he was a religious man. What else was he? He was a bit of a philanthropist. I can't even say that word. Right, what does that mean? He was, he was giving away to charity. He was making something happen within his community. We need some of them. Are there any of them in here that want to do good and make a difference in this world? We need some of them. What else was he? He was a humble man. He was a humble man. He was a man of humility. How do we know that? Well, it says when Jesus approached his house... I am not worthy to have you come into my house. It was an honor to have somebody in your house. But actually, he didn't feel worthy to have him come into his house. How do else do we know he's a man of humility? Well, he was looking after his servant. He said he highly valued his servants. Servants were things in those days. They weren't people. They were things. They were objects that did you a job. They served you. This guy was more than just a Roman centurion. This guy was a good man. This guy was a religious man. He was a man of charity, and he was looking for somebody who was less than him, who wasn't valued, but he decided to value. 
He found somebody of the lowest who was under him and said, I value this servant. Today he's sick. Go and get somebody who can heal this one who I value. He shouldn't have done that. It was a thing in that society. Slaves had no shoes. They were the lowest of the low. They did you a job. They cleaned your feet. But no, he was a man who highly valued his servants. Can you hear his heart? He was a humble man. I love him. I, I, I think for me, he's an inspiration. And Jesus marveled at him. He's the only one in scripture that Jesus marveled at. Don't you like him? I think he's wonderful. So what is it about this centurion really that got Jesus marvel? Because there are good men in this world, aren't there? And women. You probably know some. There are people that make a difference. There are people of humility. You know who they are when I say that. You come across a humble person who puts you before themselves. You know who they are. There are humble people in this world. There are good people. There are religious people. But that's not what made Jesus marvel. It was his faith that made him marvel. I'm sure he came across good people. I'm sure he came across religious people. I'm sure he came across humble people. But this man is marked because of his faith. So we're going to look at his marvelous faith. Are you with me this morning? See, what is faith? I said to you, what's faith? You say, well, it's to believe. Believe in what? Believe in God. I believe in Jesus. And there might be people in this room that say, I believe in Jesus. There may be people in this room that are kind of hearing about Jesus. I'm not quite sure yet if I believe or not. But faith is more than just believing, surely. And I believe this guy didn't just believe in God, but he did something with it. And on the occasion Jesus gets to him, he's already outworking what he's already believing. He doesn't believe on the day that he meets Jesus. He'd already put a foundation in his life of how to follow God. Let's just read what it says in Luke 7, 6 to 11. I think he's better than any Spider-Man. I do. I think he's, he, he's grasped the greatest power that's available to him. It's better than Spider-Man. It's better than the human torch. It's better than the thing. Is he called the thing? <clears throat> that big rock guy, right? The stretchy guy. I mean, let's be honest. What would you use that for? Have you ever thought, right, I want to be Spider-Man. Well, what would you do with a flying web? Have you ever thought about it? Well, I'll stick me posters on my wall. I mean, it's not every day you're going to come across a criminal, is it? Let's be honest. And you say, well, you don't know who I work with. But listen, what would you actually do with a Spider-Man web? I know what I'd done to my brother when I was little. I'd stuck him on the wall for half an hour, right? But what actually would you, what use is a Spider-Man web? What good is a human torch? Oh, it's amazing. You watch the films, it's like, whoa, it's amazing. Let's light you up and what are you going to do? No one comes near you. You know, it's not like a, a relational, you know, magnet, is it? People will marvel at you, but actually what good is it relationally to actually build bridges with people? You marvel at it and go, wow, it's amazing. But is it? Is that what Jesus marvels at? A Spider-Man web or superpowers to fly? I mean, what use is that power to fly for you? 
I don't know. But Jesus sees something in him that he marvels at. So let's just read this, okay? Jesus went with them. This is when he responds to them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to, him, to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. Great estimation of himself. I have to say, that is probably the best estimation we can have of ourselves in relation to God himself. Does that make sense? This is the starting point, the foundation of a faith in God. I think he understood it. I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you, Jesus. But say the word and my servant will be healed. I mean, imagine having that power. Forget Spider-Man, forget the web, just the word. Some of you parents are going, if my kids had just responded to the first word I gave them, we'd get a long way. Right? Imagine having the power of when you speak, it gets done. Bang. Food. There you go. Pretty impressive. Just the word is enough. Imagine that power to say the word and it happens. Clean up. It's like, no, that's just lazy. Get the job done, right? But we would, wouldn't we? We'd, we'd misuse it, really, wouldn't we? But this is what Jesus, this faith that the centurion had in, this, in, in Jesus. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. And then he gives this illustration, explanation of how he has understood this principle and living his life. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes and this one come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. He marveled at him. And turning to the crowds, I have not found such great faith. So what was it that this guy did that marveled Jesus? He believed in who Jesus was. He believed that Jesus was God. He believed that Jesus was the Son of God. He believed that Jesus was the creator of the universe, that all things were created through Jesus, who is the Word of God. So he believed in the Word of God, that Jesus was the Word. So all you have to do, Jesus, is say the Word, and it will happen. His revelation, his understanding as a centurion, shouldn't have been this. This was given to the Jews who understood who God was and how he'd created the, the universe. But this centurion in himself had discovered who God was. And he'd applied the principles of believing in this God, in this one God. I am under authority. There is no other gods that he's believing in. He's believing in the one living God. How do we know that? Well, he says, I'm a man under authority. He'd chosen to believe that he was under authority. Just say the word and I will go. Just do the word and I will come. Just say do this and I will do it, Jesus. He's saying that I know what it is to be under authority. He was a Roman centurion. He'd served diligently. I mean, this is a guy who knew how to use a sword. 
to be responsible for 100 people, he hasn't just been given this job. He took responsibility for that army of soldiers. He would have been promoted because of the skills that he got. He's not somebody who's lazy. And he'd learned how to take responsibility for a group of men. He was a man who was trusted. So why, why does Jesus marvel at him? Because we could say we all believe, and there are people that believe, but I think it goes deeper than just believing in Jesus. And actually, what does it mean to have faith in Jesus? There's three elements I want to just share here what I think faith is. The first one is this. This man's faith was not just based on something he'd heard. It was based on a knowledge and on a truth. For your faith to be real, to have a solid foundation, you have to base it on truth. Jesus is the truth. So, for example, if I said to you, oh, do you believe in Jesus? You say, I believe. Well, what do you believe? Can you see what I'm saying? What do you actually believe? Well, I believe in the church. Well, why? Because I go to church, and that's what my mum and dad went to. So I go to church. Yeah, but what do you believe? I, I, I believe in what I'm being told. There's a story, right? It's, it's not a great example, but I'll share it. In today's society, it's not great. It happened quite a few years ago. And there was a church that we're meeting. I don't know if I should share it. Should I share it? Are you okay? Don't freak out, right? So there's, there's a church that are, that are meeting, and they come to gather together, and all of a sudden, three soldiers come in with, with guns. And they get up on the stage with the weapons. They shut the door. They, they have a guy at the back on the door. And they hold the guns to the people. Are you okay? There's a happy ending. It's okay. Right? Right? They point the guns at the people. And they said, right, all of you that believe in Jesus, stay on this side. All of you that basically want to get out of here alive, move to the side. But if you believe in Jesus, stay over here. I don't know where you'd go. <laughs> right? Where, where, honestly, where would you go? And half of them kind of shuttled over here, all right? And he, and he points the gun at them and he says, right, there's the door, you lot go, you lot stay there. Scary, are you okay? Right? And then this is what happened. They all went out and then the guys took off their uniforms, put the guns down and the pastor gets up, he goes, right, now we've got rid of the hypocrites, we're gonna do church. <laughs> I thought about doing it this morning, Right? But I thought today's like, what's going on in the world today? I thought, some people will never come back to church again. Somebody might have a heart attack. And I probably will get sacked in my job. But here's the deal, right? They believed what they were saying. They got up and believed. And they did what they thought was right. And, you know, get out of here. And then the pastor preached a great message <laughs> on believing and trusting in God. But there's... There's a funny side to that, but do you know what? What is your faith based on? Is it based on truth? Is, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Do you believe that all things were made through him? Do you believe that he is an eternal God? Do you believe that he died for your sins? Do you believe that you are forgiven? Come on. Does that go into you? Do you believe that you are forgiven of all of your sins? Do you believe the truth? And that's what you base your life on is the knowledge of a knowledge that's given to you from God himself. See, the Jews had been given that knowledge. 
They'd been given the revealed word of God and who he was and what he promised. And he was a God of, you know, who would save them. He'd saved them from Egypt. He'd done miraculous signs. And they had evidence of who he was. They had a knowledge of who he was. But on that day, they were not believing of who Jesus was. How do we know that? Because when Jesus turns in his own village, they won't believe him. And he marvels that they've been given the knowledge, but they're still not believing. So here's the deal. Knowledge in itself is not enough. Truth in itself is not enough. Well, I believe in Jesus. Okay, I believe in Jesus. What do you believe in Jesus? Well, let's get you grounded on the word of God and what you believe. That's great. But that in itself is not enough. The people in the church who sat over this side believed in Jesus. They believed in Jesus, but they left. Why did they believe? Why did they leave? Because they had a different belief than what they had. Would you agree? And that's the second thing that we need to be aware of when believing. Knowledge also needs to have a conviction. A conviction. So your conviction is down to, I believe this, and I'm going to live like this. Does, does that make sense? I believe this, and I'm going to do this. He said of the centurion, I am a man under authority. I have people under me, Right? I say to this one, come, this one, go, this one, do this, and he does it. He understood the principle of the command that he was given, the responsibility he was given to oversee people, not just by dictating and giving commands, but taking responsibility and by loving them. How do we know that? Because he had a servant who he highly valued. His conviction, he had a knowledge, I believe, of who God was. He based his life on loving people. He loved the people, he loves Israel, and he built them a synagogue, but he was valuing a servant. Why? Because he had a knowledge and understanding of love in his heart and in his life, and I believe of who God was. I'm here to love. That means when the day comes where I'm having a bad day, I'm going to love this servant because my conviction says this is how I will behave based on the truth of who, what I believe God is and who I believe I am. Does that make sense? So that's two things. Is this helping? Is the faith of the centurion that Jesus marveled at. He had more than just, well, I believe in Jesus. And I don't know where you are this morning. You may say, I just believe in Jesus. Well, believing in Jesus, I don't believe, will get you just, just to get Jesus marvel at you. You have to go deeper than that and say, do you know what? This is how I'm going to live my life now. There's a deeper conviction that takes you through into what God has for you and his plans and his purposes. It's about your belief system being cemented in your heart. It's interesting, because I'm going to look at it next week. If you look at the previous chapter that, that Jesus speaks, he, he goes and speaks to, to the Jews. He goes and speaks to the people. Within that, what he's saying is this. Build your life on, a, on my word, and you build it on a solid foundation. I believe this guy was doing what he was saying. He says, love your enemies. This guy was loving his enemies. He was doing what he was called to do. Why? Because he believed in his heart what, what the word of God was, and he was outworking it with a deep conviction of this is how I'm going to treat these people, no matter how they treat me. I don't think it was easy for him in that town. I don't think he just walked in and went, all oh, these Jews are going to just react to me, and I'm going to be kingpin. You know, I'm, I'm the best centurion. Everyone will marvel at me. I don't think he did that. I think he had a tough time in that community. Because people are people, aren't they? Come on. People are people, aren't they? Let's be honest. 
but he had a deep conviction. And then the last thing he had was this. And I think this is where a lot of, a lot of us struggle with. His trust. He had a knowledge. He understood he was under authority. There was somebody greater than him. He was there to serve people, to value people, take responsibility. His convictions demonstrated that by his life. But the other thing he did was this, is he trusted. He trusted. That's a difficult one to, how do you evaluate? Am I a person that I trust? Do I really trust Jesus? Do I trust Jesus with my life? And I think that's okay when it's all going well, isn't it? But when it starts, like me, when you walk into walls, <laughs> right? When you do things or things happen that are not so good or circumstances begin to, you know, get messy around you and you're thinking, I'm out of control here. Is anybody in control? Hello? Hello? God, where are you? This isn't going the way I planned it. My expectations, what's happening here? And that's when we have to dig deeper and say, okay, God, I'm going to trust you even though I don't understand. I'm still going to trust you. And you know, and I wrote this quote down from someone it says, when a man comes to faith, puts their faith upon Jesus Christ, he renounces all trust in himself. I'll read that again. When a man comes to faith upon Jesus Christ, he renounces all trust in himself or anything he does and relies upon what someone else has done. It's a bit scary, isn't it? Do you find that a bit scary? Letting go of yourself. But you see, this man was a good man. He seemed to be a righteous man. He seemed to be a man of humility. He seemed to be one of charity. But none of those things amazed Jesus. What amazed Jesus was his belief and his trust in Jesus. Because he said, just say the word, Jesus. Just say the word, and my servant will be healed. It wasn't in his good deeds. It wasn't in his love for the community. It wasn't in anything he did. The only thing that he had was a trust in Jesus. Because he could not heal the servant. He could not make the servant wow. The only one who could do that was the one who was above all things. Who was victorious. Who would defeat death. Who would defeat sin. Who was above all things. He's the only one who had the power to heal the servants. And on that day, he said, I'm not worthy to have you come into my house. I mean, what an estimation of yourself. I mean, if anybody had a right to, to, to click his fingers and tell something to be done in that community, it was the Roman blinking centurion. They were the best warriors. They, wherever they went, they took over the land. They, 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 they were the iron men of that world. They were, they were unstoppable. If anybody had a right to tell Jesus to do something, it would have been a Roman centurion within that community, would it not? But he doesn't tell him what to do, does he? He understands his own estimation in himself compared to God and recognizes he's a sinner, that he's not worthy to come close to Jesus, who is holy and perfect. But do you eat Jesus, just say the word, and my servant will be made well. What is he saying? Is I cannot do this. I put my trust in who you are, not in who I am. 
And in doing that, this is what happens. This is the good news, church. This is when we come to faith and we trust in Jesus Christ. You get the benefits of the one who wants to give you the benefits. Does that make sense? If, you, if you're a trustee of a company, you're overseeing a company, right? The ones who benefit are not you, but the ones who benefit are the benefiters, are they not? If you're overseeing a charity, Michael's a trustee. He doesn't benefit from this, from being a trustee. His job is to make sure you, as a people, and the church, and beyond, benefit. Does that make sense? And that's what he, happens here with him. He recognizes he cannot do this on himself. He is a sinner. He is not worthy to have Jesus come under his roof. Roof, roof, roof. I've got a chipped tooth. Roof. <laughs> right, did you get that? R-O-O-F, got it? Thing on top of a house, right? He's not worthy to have him in his house. That's the starting blocks of faith. I am a sinner. I am not worthy. I need Jesus Christ in my life. I am not worthy to have you come into my house. But Jesus, just say the word, word and I'm trusting you with all that I am. And you, hopefully, will forgive my sins and will heal me from my sickness and my disease. You will make me now one with you. I get all of what you've got benefiting me, but I don't deserve it. Paching. That's the good news. So this word in here, I want to encourage you. God's word is here for you. The Bible says, forget not his benefits. God's got benefits for you, and they're not on the NH, what was it called? Not them benefits, right? Not that you go and sign on for. These are benefits that he gives you abundantly for your life. They're the promises of God that are available for you and me every day. This guy understood and he believed the word of God. He put it into practice and he trusted God with all of his life. I want to encourage you to trust God with all of your life. And as you do that, all of his benefits come to you. Forgiveness of sin comes for you. His grace comes for you. His peace comes for you. But if you hold on to your strength and your ability to make this happen, I'll guarantee one day you're going to fall short and you won't live a life that gets Jesus to marvel at you. Because actually, it's not in your own strength. It's in him and being a reliant on him and what he has to say about you. Many of us try and do it in our own strength and don't feel good about ourselves if we're honest. I'm nearly done. There's a story. I'm going to read this story. And it's a story about a ship that's going down. Are you still with me this morning? The great news about this is this. God's strength is perfected in our weakness. That doesn't mean we remain weak and, and, you know, down here. God wants to lift us up and build us up. But it starts from a place of recognizing that we need Jesus in our lives. Believing in it, being convicted to do what the word says and follow Jesus. And trusting Jesus with who he is rather than who we are as we follow him. That makes sense, doesn't it? Let's read this. There's a story here. And it's about a guy. He's a captain of a ship. And the ship gets torpedoed. So it's either well, Second World War, right? So the ship gets torpedoed. And as the ship, the captain recognizes he's trying to get everybody off the ship. And there's about 30 minutes to go. And the captain goes to three of his, um, I don't even know what they're called. What are they called on a ship? Not, not admirals or whatever. Anyway, the next one down under him, right? There's three of them. And they've got everybody off the, off the ship. And he says to these three guys, listen, there's an island about three miles away. What I want you to do is this is the last 
lifeboat. I want you to get on it. I'm going to keep my eye on the ship here. You know, hopefully there's somebody else going to come before it goes down. But I'm not leaving the ship, he says, as it's going down. But I want you three to get on the ship, onto the lifeboat, and then you'll be safe. Go to the island and uh, look out for the people. Then he, then he turns away and he goes back to the ship. And as he turns around, three of them are standing there. He's like, I've just given the order. <laughs> they should read the scripture. I am a man under authority. I say to this one, go. They all three are standing there. And he's like, what's going on? So he goes back to him and says, hey, I've given you the command. I've told you what to do. What's the problem? And the first one says to them, he said, I, I hear what you said. You know, I get what you're saying, but I'm just not getting, I'm, I'm, I'm not going for it. You're like, what? Then he goes to the second one, and the second one says, Captain, I, I've heard what you said. I believe what you say. I actually believe that the boat will actually get us there safe. But I'm just not getting it. What's that? The first one had a knowledge. The second one had a knowledge and a conviction that actually the boat would do what it's called to do. But he just didn't want to step into it and trust it. The third one, you know how the story goes. I should have done an Englishman, Irishman, a Scotsman, shouldn't I? Right? The third one, is that wrong? And a Welshman. Is that wrong? Can't you tell them jokes anymore? Is it not politically correct? Anyway, there were three men on a boat, right? So the third one, he hears, he believes, he has a conviction, and he gets in the boat, and he trusts. And the boat gets there safe. And he's saved. The other two, the ship goes down and they're lost. Why do I tell that story? It's because of this. Many of us believe, many of us have a conviction, but actually do we trust the word of God and put it into place in our lives? Do we actually believe what God says in our lives? Do we actually believe that we're forgiven? Therefore, if we're forgiven, we forgive others like we are forgiven. Do we actually believe it to that level? And that's the challenge for each and every one of us, isn't it? Do we trust Jesus at his word and do we believe him and do we outwork it in our lives? And I believe if we do, then Jesus marvels at us. Jesus loves us and forgives us where we're at. But for us to be marveled at, I believe Jesus wants us to trust him and to put his word into practice. Does that make sense? Let's just bow our heads and let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you give us all a choice. That you give us a choice to respond. You give us a choice for life. You give us a choice every day. You know, tomorrow we'll have choices and we have the freedom to choose, which is such a privilege. And Father, I just, as we come around listening to your word today, I just ask, Father, that if there's people here this morning that maybe they don't believe. Maybe they've heard a message that you love them, that you forgive them, but they've just not chosen to believe. And Father, if there's people here this morning who've heard that, then I want to pray for them that today they won't just have a knowledge, but they'll choose to line up their conviction that I'm going to choose today that Jesus is my Savior. 
And today I'm going to trust in what you say. I'm going to trust tomorrow what you say about my life. So Father, we just pray right now for people in here. I pray, Father God, for faith in you, to believe in you, to trust in you, to follow you this week and to continue to trust in you no matter what we face, that we will go deeper into your love, deeper into your forgiveness, deeper into your mercy, deeper into your peace and into your presence. And we discover you, God, and we'd marvel at you and at your goodness and God, at your delight and how marvelous you are, Father, in the name of Jesus. So, Father, there's people here who don't know you. We pray as they believe in you in their hearts that they would know you and that faith would arise in the name of Jesus and they would discover 